0: Hoy, hoy, you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. What is happening, y'all? Hope you enjoyed my previous episode where I talked about cheese. Well, more specifically, that Cheez-It ad that's been running the last few months where they humorously talk about how these, the, these new Cheez-Its are so good that they're worried about running out of cheese. Well, in case you didn't listen, just quickly... I'll summarize. You see, when cheese prices, or anything else for that matter, when they go up, well, that's a signal to people to get into the cheese business, which in turn will eventually bring the price of cheese down. You see, we're talking about supply and demand, right? There's a natural ebb and a flow to this process, and it's never ending. Essentially, the consumers of cheese are always going to want to pay the lowest price for cheese that they can. And meanwhile, the producers of cheese are obviously going to want to get the highest price that they can. So again, there's this natural hidden haggling there. And again, the price signaling system that tells people to get into the market and then as these people enter the market, well, that naturally brings the price down. And I promise you, again, if we let this process take its course, we will never run out of cheese. But of course, not everybody believes me, and a skeptic might point to the 1840s, when the Irish did, essentially, run out of potatoes. But was the Irish potato famine a market failure? Were the Irish people a promiscuous, drunken lot that married too young, had too many children, and foolishly relied too heavily on one crop for food? Well, many people, including Thomas Malthus, completely bought into this line of thinking and felt that the famine was basically God punishing the sinners. And even today, this caricature of the Irish lives on and partially explains the famine in mainstream history. Several years ago, Conan O'Brien's show had a recurring bit where a ghost from the old NBC radio studio would perform c- politically incorrect songs from the past well in this bit present day conan of course would become righteously offended and the ghost would always close with an insulting song about the irish now i always had a soft spot for this bit so let's hear one and keep in mind that i'm of that i'm also of irish descent so feel free and laugh even though this is a pretty stiff joke That's it. I don't care if you're a ghost from the
1: 30s or not. Just get out of here. Say, you got a hot Irish temper. I wrote a little song about the Irish. Listen up. (laughs) Oh, the Irish shouldn't be allowed to (laughs) breathe. We already have more drunkards than we need. (laughs) They're all just lazy slobs who want to take away our jobs, and when they cut their fingers, whiskey's all they bleed. Whiskey, no, wait a minute, you said whiskey That's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Could you tell the crowd was a little bit uncomfortable at this bit at first? Clearly, this was an early iteration. But my main point here is: is first of all, I don't know how you blame the Irish potato famine partly on the Irish having too much freedom when, in fact, the Irish had been conquered by England, and, in fact, several times. Well, in my previous episode, I mentioned briefly that absentee landlords were a large cause of the famine. Having conquered Ireland, English rulers essentially gave a great deal of Irish farmland to English people. Now, land tenancy, or renting, if you will, Well, that can work. All forms of renting can be very productive. Just look at all the luxury rental buildings out there these days. Clearly, the people that are paying to live there are doing so voluntarily and happily so. But the thing is, somebody has to watch over the actual building or land in this case. And there was no incentive to improve the land for these Irish farmers because they didn't own the land, obviously. And absentee landlords in England, well, they were on an, across an, an island there, across an ocean. Well, these people were content to leave their unearned farming ventures; those earnings from that running on autopilot. They were content to not look a gift horse in the mouth, as it were. But on top of that, they were also negligent horse owners. You see, they never fed. They never fed the horse, and they left it out in the rain. But of course, the horse in this analogy is this farmland. So clearly, this is not a natural, free, landlord-rental relationship. For one thing, the farmland was stolen, quite literally, from the Irish people, and then they were expected to pay rent on this stolen land. How would you behave if somebody stole the deed to your house out from under you, but then also demanded that you pay rent to keep living in your house. Would you treat the house as well as you had previously when you actually owned it? Especially when you hear English people talk like this.
1: Well, Well, do me me a favor. Just uh, get out of here, buddy, would you? Say, you got a hot Irish temper. I wrote a little song about the Irish. Listen up. Huh? Oh, Irishmen have monkey DNA. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they drink all night so they can puke all day God. We should lure them on ships With whiskey, fish, and chips And dump those lazy bastards in the bay Drownity Mick Drownity Mick! Oh, okay. Get out! Get out!
0: And indeed, the British government's condescending paternalistic attitude toward Ireland lives on In the late 1990s British Prime Minister Tony Blair apologized for, quote, doing too little during the famine. In fact, the British government did plenty during the years leading up to and during the famine. Notably, the British corn laws were designed, not unlike the protectionist tariffs of today, quite honestly, to keep grain prices high and immune from foreign competition. In 1801, the Brits extended these protectionist laws to Ireland, But obviously, the absentee landlords in England were the beneficiaries of this protectionism, not the Irish people and farmers. This dynamic also explains why the Irish came to rely so heavily on the potato for nutrition at that time. While other crops can deplete soil, potatoes do not. The the absentee landlords loved this because then more land could be devoted to selling the artificially high grain crops for export back to England. Meanwhile, the Irish farmers, well, they had a relatively nutritious food to feed themselves and their families and their animals. But to be clear, while the potato was indeed a relatively good option for the Irish people considering their circumstances, it's obvious that British domination and rules created the circumstances by which the potato became the main Irish food source. Ask yourself, would truly free Irish farmers who owned the land they cultivated, would they freely choose to eat only potatoes each and every day? I think not. And frankly, why would they? Keep in mind the famine occurred in the 1840s. You see, people had figured out how to farm all kinds of things long ago. The first industrial revolution was already well underway at this point. It's natural to think that these free people would have a much more diverse offering of crops had they indeed been free. And indeed, this lack of variety in food production came home to roost when a fungal blight all but destroyed the potato crop and led to the death of some one million Irish people. But what is important about the Irish potato famine, like all other history in my opinion, is not names, not dates, not places, and frankly not even actual death tolls or other trivial bits of information. What matters is having a proper understanding of what went wrong and how we can avoid a similar calamity in the future. Now, just to be clear here, I'm not suggesting that China, for instance, is racing toward a famine because the United States is imposing tariffs. But debates about protectionism, tariffs, and propping up domestic prices artificially should keep the lessons of the famine in mind. It really, really should. Now, Karl Marx, for instance, he was influenced heavily by the famine, and he wrote all about it from, guess where? London, And also, guess what? As you might expect, well, Marx blames market failure. Another Englishman I mentioned earlier, Thomas Malthus, is the inventor of the Malthusian Trap, whereby a growing population will eventually outgrow its food supply. This was the conclusion that Malthus had about the famine. But in fact, the Irish population was growing only slightly faster than that of England at the time, And Ireland started out at a far smaller number. Again, the 1800s was a period of unprecedented economic growth, especially in the West. So these growing populations should surprise no one. Malthus was frankly wrong about the Irish specifically, and his theory has been proven wrong generally over the last two centuries. There are six to seven times as many people on the planet as there were in 1850, and food production continues unabated. For all intents and purposes, free trade has eliminated the true famine. Now don't get me wrong, droughts, other weather events, yeah, they still happen, and they will ruin a growing season or two for a period of time in a certain area. Fungus, blight, they still exist. But those things don't destroy a people's food supply if they're able to trade freely. There's always food being grown and produced somewhere. If, like Jim Cramer says, there's always a bull market somewhere, well, I guarantee you there's definitely always a growing season somewhere on Earth. And possibly just even a county or a state over. You might not even have to go that far. And indeed, with our modern Trucks, our modern planes, our modern everything, we can ship goods at such an incredible rate compared to the 1800s, it's really hard to comprehend. And speaking of the ability to trade freely, well it should be noted that part of free trade is charitable giving, which the English rules crowded out with the Irish poor laws and confiscatorily high tax rates. In my mind, restricting people's ability to freely help their fellow man is a truly monstrous act. Well, John Mitchell, an Irish political commentator during the era, said, quote, The Almighty sent the potato blight, but the English created the famine. Indeed, government-approved scientists in England assured the Irish there was no blight, just excessive dampness. And not only did the workhouses and soup kitchens set up by the British government utterly fail, these places also centralized people into large, tight quarters. Because keep in mind, the leading killer of the famine was disease, not starvation. And these claustrophobic conditions allowed disease to spread quickly. Well, gee, thanks, government. What would we do without your supposed protection? And also, there's a school of thought out there that the artificial famine was not a result of government incompetence and mismanagement, but instead the British government knew exactly what it was doing and wanted to take care of the, quote, Irish problem. Now, honestly, I personally don't know enough about this history to go that far. I really don't. But what I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, is that Tony Blair was wrong to apologize on behalf of the British government for, quote, not doing enough. Far from a free market failure, as Marx or Malthus would have you believe, the British government created the circumstances that led to the famine, exacerbated it, and failed to stop it. Too often, the default public position is for the government to do something. But clearly, when it comes to government... Nothing is often far preferable to something, especially when they're an ocean away and they don't apparently give a crap about you. Well, Tony Blair, on behalf of all people of Irish descent, you can take your apology and shove it in your potato hole.
1: Two songs is enough. No more. Just please go away. Oh, say, you got a hot Irish temper. I wrote a little Christmas song about the Irish. Here you go. Irishmen spend Christmas throwing up (laughs) Because they chuck their whiskey from a giant cup (laughs) They pass out till New Year's Eve Then wipe their puke off with their sleeve And when asked if they want more booze They say yup (laughs) (laughs) "Yup That was horrible You're a bad guy You're terrible